Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the eighth inning of the 2022 season of Dead People Baseball. Classic League Baseball has crowned a champion, and it's time to look back at the year and talk about how the playoffs went. I'm Matt, here with Classic League Commissioner Jason, and this is the penultimate episode of Dead People Baseball for 2022. Welcome back to Dead People Baseball, folks. We've got a lot of fun in store for you as we creep up on the end of another Classic League baseball year. Jason, any thoughts before we let everyone know how things played out in the postseason? And no spoilers. Uh, Yeah, I guess I shouldn't say anything because I don't want to spoil any results. It was a great postseason and we're here to cover it all. Here are our topics for our trip around the bases. At first base, you'll get Casey Rydell with all of the highlights from the playoffs. At second base, we'll take a look back at the entirety of 2022, while third base gives us time to preview the upcoming draft. We'll complete our trip around the bases by looking forward to 2023 and all of the updates to the Classic League. Jason, anything to add before Casey Rydell gives us our new first base format? Let's keep it rolling. Take it away, Casey. Welcome to the new first base, folks. I'm Casey Rydell, and the segment formerly known as the first pitch will become first base in 2023 as I bring you all the stats and highlights for Dead People Baseball and the Classic League. Let's jump right into it and let you know how the 2022 postseason shook out. First, we look back at the wildcard round, which saw two great matchups. In the Hobbs League, the Wormtown Warriors battled the Athens Bobkittens. After the Warriors took the first game of the series, Athens roared back and won the next three games, finishing off the Warriors with an 8-2 victory that saw Cy Young go seven innings, holding Wormtown to just two runs, while the Bob Kitten offense blew the game open with a five-run eighth inning, which saw Adam Dunn, Gary Carter, and Joe Morgan have three straight RBI hits to move Athens on to the Hobbs League Championship Series. Over in the Kinsella League wildcard round, the defending champion Limerick Hurlers went back and forth with the Cleveland Spiders for a five-game series. In that game five, the Hurlers found themselves tied at four heading into the bottom of the seventh when Vladimir Guerrero, who was acquired at the trade deadline, smacked a two-run homer to the left field seats of Cullen Stadium, giving the Hurlers a 6-4 to four lead that they would not relinquish. The hometown hurler crowd celebrated with their team as they prepared for the Kinsella League Championship Series against the Gramercy Ghostmen. We'll stay with the Kinsella League as the hurlers traveled to Gramercy to get things started in the League Championship Series. They had to be very creative with their rotation as the Spiders pushed them to the brink in the wildcard round. Addy Joss couldn't do enough to keep the Ghostmen down in Game 1 as the Limerick offense was stymied by Christy Mathewson and Gramercy won 3-1. The Ghostmen kept control of the series and ended Limerick's dreams of repeating as champions, taking the series four games to one. With the series only going five games, Gramercy was in a great position as they waited for the winner of the Hobbs League Championship Series. 
In that series, the Athens Bobkittens were looking to get back to the World Series for the first time since 2013, while Twinsburg looked to continue their success that has seen them win everything but a World Series. This one went six games, with the pitching of Twinsburg becoming the difference, as Hilton Smith dazzled in the clinching game by going eight strong innings, shutting the Bob Kittens offense out of the scoring column, and Twinsburg grabbed the Hobbs League trophy. The World Series saw the following storylines. Gramercy was trying to earn their eighth World Series title, while Twinsburg was looking for their first, having come up short three times in the championship round since 2015. These teams were just one game apart in the win column in 2022, and that foreshadowing should tell you that this series was going seven games. It was an epic back-and-forth battle for the title, and nine innings wouldn't be enough to crown a champion in the deciding Game 7. It wouldn't be until the bottom of the 15th inning when Arky Vaughn slapped a single through the right side, allowing Twinsburg's Bobby Abreu to cross home plate, sending the hometown Tornado fans into a frenzy as they flooded the field to celebrate their team's first title. Lance Berkman was named the World Series MVP as he smacked three home runs and drove in eight runs for Twinsburg. What a great finish to the year. Congratulations to the Twinsburg Tornadoes on their first title. Matt and Jason, back to you for second base. Thank you, Casey Rydell. Jason, let's dive into second base and look at how things went this season. We made our predictions back in March. Remind us of uh, what you and I both predicted as the World Series winner all those months ago. We liked Twinsburg. Um, right. We both we both had Twinsburg uh, winning it all. Um, surprisingly, a lot of the predictions across the board in terms of like playoff teams ended up working out that way. You know, maybe not exactly um, the way it unfolded in terms of like division winner here or you know league champion here, but um, you know I think we had a, a pretty good grasp on who who the top teams were going to be this year. Yeah, I had uh, I had Wormtown as a wild card, and obviously they won their division, which ended up being a very very strange division um, back mm-hmm. and forth for the most of the year. Um, but yeah, it was I mean it was kind of a uh, I had myself in the World Series, of course, and and obviously that didn't happen. Um, but uh, I mean, what do you think? I, I mean, are we just getting? We just seem to know this league pretty well. We know the players that do well, and we. We know. I mean, there's teams that know how to build teams. Yeah, there there are definitely patterns, you know. And I think the longer you're in the league, the more you start to kind of tap into that. I mean, I I remember even talking about um, going back and forth about my MVP prediction because I was saying, well, the Lightning division I think is going to be very uh, competitive, and I looked at all three of those teams as being even, and I felt like you know whoever got hot down the stretch was going to be the team that that got in and it didn't work out the way I thought it would in the sense that many of those teams were, you know, having losing records for much of the season. But, you know, again, it, it unfolded in, in a, in a tight race and Wormtown was the team that got hot and, you know, they did finish above 500 and, uh, you know, had, had a, a, a lot of talent. Um, I think, uh, what kind of unfolded there was that those teams pitching staffs all kind of, struggled a little more than I expected him to. I thought it'd be more about which offense got hotter. And we um, we had the three newcomers this year into the league. Uh, we had the Sarnia Sting, the Raleigh Fingers, and the East Point Elites. Um, Raleigh and East Point, 
I think they ended up a little better than we thought they would. Uh, they both competed for quite a bit of the season right to the end. Um, and then Sarnia kind of, that's kind of what we expected to see from Sarnia. Yeah, not real active. I think didn't have a, a, a total grasp on, you know, what the league was. Um, you know, and we'll get into that later uh, as as we'll uh, talk about their exit from the league. Right. Um, competitive races down the stretch, like we talked about. Uh, the battle for home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Twinsburg was finished one game better than the Gramercy Ghostmen. Do you think that might have had a different outcome in Game 7 if your boys had uh, had that game at their home park? Possibly. Um, and, and I can say firsthand, because the decisions I made down the stretch played a role in that, instead of going after home field advantage, I rested some of my guys. The way I saw it was if my guys were going into the playoffs better, you know, more rested, then that might be more of an advantage than home field would. In the end, you know, it didn't work out that way. But I think the fact that I didn't deal with a lot of injuries, um, you know, it, we pushed it all the way as far as it could go. Um, I definitely felt like Twinsburg's team gelled a little bit more than mine did. My offense didn't do real well in the postseason. So, I, you know, I think ultimately the better team probably won. I think um, he had a lot more clicking for him. His pitching staff was uh, overall more consistent this season, I think. And, and again, you know, my offense, if, you know, DiMaggio, Williams, and Mantle aren't really hitting, it's going to be hard for my team to, to get anything going. And, you know, I you know, it's always disappointing to lose, but if you're going to lose in that manner, I think – might have been the most exciting Classic League World Series we've ever seen. Yeah, I think uh, you mentioned the Twitter post said it was the first ever walk-off win to, to clinch set, it yeah, for a for World seven Series. Games, yeah. yeah. I didn't go deep into you know whether or not a team ever walked it off, you know, in less than seven games. But right. I think um, you know, given the history of Major League Baseball, the, the and, Joe Carter moment. Yeah, like, yeah, so we still don't have a walk-off homer, but that was the first walk-off, and that's pretty exciting. Yeah, especially given the fact that it was in the fifteenth inning. Yes, absolutely crazy. So let's uh, let's look at some of the award winners this year. Um, anything surprise you? I uh, I looked, I went back and looked, and I made a, a very bold prediction that Tris Speaker of my Limerick Hurlers was going to win the batting title and the MVP, and neither one of those things came even close. <laughs> Um, but, uh, what, uh, what surprises any, or, or did anything surprise you or did you feel like the races shook out the way they should? Surprises, uh, not like total surprises, but I think given Ed Walsh in his, uh, recent struggles the last couple of years for him to bounce back in such a strong way and, and to pretty much run away with the Cy Young award, there were a few guys that were battling him, but he kind of had a stranglehold on that for much of the season. Um, so that, that was a, a little, not again, not surprising, but a little, um, you know, out of the blue. Um, I, I was also surprised uh, to see the year that Barry Bonds had. He won a silver slugger, yep. so he, he was kind of back to his, to his um, original uh, play that he had when he came into this league. Um, I was a little surprised that Mickey Mantle got the gold glove in right field, Um I know Hank Aaron was kind of leading that for a long time, um, and I, I think uh, ultimately ended up with a few more errors, you know, and that probably gave him the edge. But 
Yeah, for the most part, you look at like the silver sluggers and the gold gloves, and it's a lot of the same guys that typically win it year in and year out. And um, MVP for Lou Gehrig, you know, not not surprising, um, but it has been a while since he's ha had such a, a huge year. But I think the fact that the Spiders made the playoffs is is a big reason, you know, why he's going to get the edge there. Yeah, Josh Gibson definitely had another amazing year, but again, his team didn't quite get over the hump at the end there, uh, kind of faded off at the, uh, at the end of the regular season. Um, what else? I, uh, what else you got on the, on the awards and the silver sluggers and the postseason and any, anything kind of going back, um, to the predictions that we made in inning one. Mm -hmm. um, I, I had MVP Oscar Charleston, Cy Young, Max Manning and the Rolaids relief, Billy Wagner. It's kind of interesting that all three of those guys were kind of in the running for, for those awards. Um, and then kind of, we're just overtaken by uh, other guys having better years, but um, you know, I do, I I do kind of find it fascinating that when we when we kind of assess these teams in March, that it's not always going to be how we expect it to be played out. But it, you know, it's kind of cool to to look back and and kind of analyze the season in that way and and be like, wow, you know, some of those. We were pretty close on. Yeah. It's also nice that the game keeps us on our toes. You know, Rube Waddell had two Cy Youngs in a row, and then this year he ended up actually ended up with a very good year, uh, but he had a kind of a slow start that took him out of the running of the Cy Young pretty early. Yeah, his like second half was more like him. First, he didn't even make the All Star team, so he had a real slow start. You're right about that. First first half of the season, you know, I was worried he was going to be, um, you know, quarters and Puppy dogs and fire trucks, <laughs> Rube Waddell. But yeah, he, and he had a good postseason too. Um, but I think that's what happens with pitching in this league. Uh, ultimately, over the course of a season, guys will, you know, your top end guys will usually have numbers that are familiar, but they don't always get there in a straight path. And I think those, those are the tough years when you have like your ace pitchers and they have like a two month stretch where they're just not getting it done. You can't. You can't really, you know, deal with that, um, and especially if if you're a team that is, um, you know, maybe more middle of the road, still trying to build that core and build that team. Um, I know Cleveland uh, overcame a lot of adversity this year, but they were. I think initially when I looked at their team and I th I had picked them to win the division, mm -hmm. you know, a few of their pitchers that I thought would have good years didn't. They were fortunate to be able to find replacements and fix those problems, and they did make it to the playoffs. But I do feel like that first month or two of the season when, like, CC Sabathia and Johan Santana were struggling, you know, that set them back on a course that they were going to have to, you know, fight and claw all year. Yeah, And just running back to the awards real quick, um, just remind us how, like, you're, you're not picking those. It's not something you're deciding. No, yeah. I, I mean, um, every now and then, like I've said before, I have to step in because the uh, game doesn't always, like, factor in guys that play, you know, out of position or whatever. Like Superman Pennington, for example, who won the gold glove at third base. He's not even factored in at third base, so i got to, like, go look at his... Uh, X factor, his fielding percentage, his errors, and compare him to all the other guys that are in there. So sometimes I'll have to do that, but like, you know, 95% of these guys, it's straight up what the game picks. And the ones that, you know, I may shove in, 
you know, it's more based on the factor of um, the game kind of not taking into all aspects of a player's uh, positioning and, and potential. Anything else for second base? Um, I don't think so. I think, uh, oh, a quick shout out to the manager of the year, Pop Fisher. He, oh, yeah. He, he got it done. So that's two years in a row yeah. that the manager of the year in the regular season ended up winning the World Series, which that's is right. kind of interesting. Hmm. I mean... The game knows what it's doing, it seems, right? I suppose. Would you think Pop would have died had the uh, Twinsburg Tornadoes lost that Game 7? I, I think it's possible. <laughs> I, think this, I think this revives them at least for another few years. Absolutely. Well, Jason, let's uh, head to third base and ready to pop some champagne? Let's do it. All right, as is our tradition, we're going to drink a little uh, Martini and Rossi uh, Asti here and... You know, I gotta say, uh, this tastes a little sweeter last year, and I'm sure it's quite bitter for you this year. Agreed. <laughs> it's a shame that neither one of us can can toast to our own teams winning. But you know what? Uh, for me, I, I think that what this league's grown into, and parity that we now have, and the strength of all the owners, uh, really makes me proud. Um, I, I think that I've done a lot of work to get good at at this game for my own sake for many years but the last few years i've dedicated it to trying to help others as well and and the fruits of that labor make this league uh better so i i think that seeing different teams win it each year is a testament to that absolutely cheers and and congratulations to the twinsburg tornadoes they definitely uh uh, had a hard-fought battle and, and deserve uh, all the victory that they got. Absolutely. Mm. And again, still uh, still tastes good. Still tastes good to keep to keep Pop Fisher alive. <laughs> <laughs> I heard I heard a rumor that he may have uh, been forced into retirement had they not uh, won it this year, wow. so medically or otherwise. Hmm. Um, but now we can look ahead to next year. And I'm prepared to announce my eight protected players right now. If you're okay with that, I'm ready to go. So, no, no you got to remember if you if you announce them, is it locked in? Can't can't make any deals. Oh, oh, that's true. That's true. Now here it is. Here's my core. All right, here they are. All right. So ready to come back and fight for the Limerick Hurlers next year will be Addy Joss, Reb Russell for the rotation, and then Tris Speaker, Vladimir Guerrero. Mickey Cochran, Buck Leonard, Judd Wilson, and Dick Lundy. Wow. There they are. What do you think, my eight? I think there are like zero surprises there. Yeah. I, I did go back and forth, and actually, when I was putting this together, I actually, I actually did type Nap Lajwi, but uh, I just think that shortstop position, as I'm, as I'm thinking about this, is just so important that I wanted to have that, that good... Uh, Gold glove caliber uh, defense up the middle. I, absolutely. And I think the fact that he's a switch hitter, he's got a little bit of pop, um, definitely gives him a little more value. Uh, I feel like Nat Lajue is probably more of a sentimental pick rather than it a... definitely Because there's a lot of second basemen like him. He's a very good one, but it's not like uh, you know he, he couldn't be replaced. Whereas, yeah. you know, gold glove shortstops are hard to find, and especially one that can hit pretty well like Lundy mm-hmm. does. Have you decided on your eight yet? I have not. I know I'm still debating on uh, my seventh and eighth player. 
uh, I can announce my first six. I, <laughs> I know that I'm going to be bringing back uh, Christy Mathewson and Rue Waddell. No! Mickey Mantle, <laughs> Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams, uh, Eddie Collins. I, I definitely am bringing back those six, but still um, kind of deciding on the last two um, between like four four or five players. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the teams that finished outside the playoffs. Um, obviously, the draft is going to be extremely important for them, but they've also got to make some important decisions with their protected lists. Who has to be perfect with their protected list to really give themselves a shot to build that core going into the draft? Well, I don't know if anybody has to be perfect, but I think for me, if I had to pick one team from like each league that I think that it's a little more crucial for, I think... The, the brother Chevalier, I think. Pat, oh, yeah. North, I think, North Coast uh, and Harvey. Har- yeah, because Harvey, you know, made the World Series last year, competed for most of this season, and then, you know, had a real cold spell down the stretch. And I think Pat has a really good core. Um, but he might have some decisions to make, and he may have an opportunity to maybe – make a trade or two if he wanted to as well. So I, I again, not, not like he has to be perfect, but I think he has uh, an opportunity to do some things and I'm interested to see what he does. Whereas Greg, I think has built his team back up to where I really thought they were going to win the division this year. I think the only thing that kept them from doing that is a couple pitchers that didn't pan out, but he also had some players that he, you know, relied on took some chances on and some of those guys paid off so i think like as long as his offensive core has another good year next year and he can kind of build his pitching staff to give it a little more depth i i definitely feel like you know he's going to be right there to to get back to the postseason and return to what we expect from north coast yeah Yeah, i definitely don't want to put any pressure on anybody thinking they have to be perfect but you know you, you think about that and um, especially the new guys like East Point. Again, they had a year that they they had some surprises. They had some surprising uh, performances from folks. So it is gonna it's gonna be some tough decisions for them to to make the the right pick to to fill out that eight. Yeah, and I I think you know teams shouldn't be afraid to to take some risks as well. You know I I think a lot of times a team might protect a player and then they have a bad year and then they just want to like give up on them. It's like that, that happens in this game. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a game of, of numbers and dice rolling, you know, like it's chance and it's all based on percentages. And you got to believe that, especially if a guy has like a couple to three, you know, two to three bad years or average years, but you know, they have it in them and have a big year. You know, you might want to roll the dice on a guy like that that you feel like is due to have a good year. For sure. Because that can pay off. Yeah. To help us prepare for the draft, we should have the Classic League power rankings coming out pretty soon, right? Yeah, I'm hoping to start working on those. Um, I, I definitely wait until the uh, protected lists are in. And those are due on? November 4th. So I'm hoping that following weekend, like that weekend or the following weekend, to, to really dive in and work on it. Um, you know, they don't change a ton from year to year, but I've, I've started adding more information to the rankings list. And of course we've got some new players that are probably going to be entering into the league. Um, you know, as long as Pujols holds to his, his retirement and a couple other guys that have announced they'll be done. 
you know, they're, they're going to be put into the rankings as well. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely look forward to doing that. I have fun doing that. So that'll be coming sometime in November. Nice. In addition to that, uh, the full updated stats for all eligible players will be coming out soon. And, you know, uh, Lonnie, the owner of the Athens Bob Kittens, will uh, once again be doing that. And we, we thank him so much for, for putting those stats together and keeping everything up to date. And as I think about the draft, I think that's more of what I look at when picking a player. I mean, I use both the power rankings as well as the stats. But if I'm looking at two different guys, I'm going... I'm going over to the stats. Mm -hmm. I'm going over to that. What do you think about that? I think it's a good move. I think most owners are going to make decisions um, on their own. I think the rankings are, you know, it's not an exact science by any means. So it's just based on patterns that I see. Um, and I think the fact that you called them power rankings is a, a, the best way to put it. Because the shifting of where guys are ranked is like strictly based on the previous season. So if a guy was ranked, I, I know Dizzy Dean's a good example. He had uh, a couple good seasons that had him higher on the list out of guys that, you know, maybe aren't protected much, but he doesn't have a lot of innings. It's hard for him to, he's kind of like Joe Wood where he has like this immense amount of talent, but sometimes fatigue can ruin a season for him. And he's coming off a year that he wasn't used much because he, got off to a really bad start. So you know he's going to fall down on the list than, you know, where he was before, but does that mean he's still not one of the top, you know, low innings starting pitchers? No, I mean he he's going to be a guy that should be given a chance to make someone's rotation. Um but that's just, you know, that's the nature of year to year in this league. Anything else for third base? Was there anything else we wanted to cover before we head home? I feel like we're flying through yeah, things here. I know. I think um, the, some of those new players uh, that are coming in, um, I think we've got some impactful players coming in 2023. Pujols, I think, is is probably the most impactful player we've had since Barry Bonds. Mm -hmm. I look at him as a guy that is kind of like a plus Hank Greenberg because he's probably going to be more consistent and better defensively. Um but I would also say be wary of some of the pitchers coming in because I think a lot of times people get excited about new players, but if you like hold them up to, you know, similar s statistical players recently, you know, there's a lot of newer guys like Josh Beckett or Jake Peavy or Brandon Webb who kind of bounce in and out of this league, but it's like they never put up stats to be able to stay. And, and a lot of the new pitchers coming in, are very similar to guys that are already out there, readily available. Don't, you know, freak out because a new guy is coming in. Right. It's like that shiny new toy. Uh, but I can say that Pujols is the real deal. Um, I think if Miguel Cabrera comes out this year or next year, you know, he'll be another one that will probably be a top-end, uh, you know, modern player. Yep. And then just real quick, the deadline for a player to announce they've retired so that they're eligible for the draft is going to be what? Whenever we start the draft. So the the official draft starts December 26th, but we usually will start it without a clock early December. So as soon as the pick so is made. So once the first pick is in, no more players can, can be eligible. Sounds good. Ready to head home? Yeah, I think so. 
Jason, it's time to talk about what is ahead for 2023. And the first thing we need to address is the number of teams that we will have. It was our goal to remain at 12 teams for the next season, and we're going to be able to do that. But we do have a new team. Get everyone up to speed on our team situation. So Sarnia Sting decided they were not going to return for the 2023 season. Um, our friend Jared is going to take over that team and rebrand it the Gitchy Gumi Gales. Love it. Which comes from that uh, Edmund Fitzgerald song. And I'm excited. I, I We had been talking to him about this league for a few years, kind of trying to steer him on board. Um, I think he, he's a, a guy that does his research um, in terms of statistics. I know we did a, a mock basketball strat league a few years ago that he was in and won the whole thing. So, um, you know, basketball's more his thing than baseball, but I think his knowledge of, of numbers and patterns and, um, you know, who, who could... Uh, make an impact uh, will not escape him. I think he'll be uh, pretty competitive pretty quick. And then the Gales will just take Sarnia's spot in the Kinsella League Cornfield Division, correct? Yeah, and, and they actually, t because he's taking over the team, um, kind of assumes their franchise history as well. So he'll keep eight guys from that current roster. Um, you know, I, I know that he, he's allowed to make moves until... That deadline, um, I don't know if he's going to or not, but I know he's uh, hard at work trying to uh, get that team uh, a solid core. Right. Um, so other than that, really not not a ton changing. You know, the divisions will remain the same. We've got the 154 games schedule. Um, the playoff format will be exactly as it was, and uh, I mean, really. Should be should be business as usual next year as we head into our nineteenth season. Yeah, I think that's the goal. We we want to be stable and we want to have some kind of feeling of um, familiarity going from year to year. I know ultimately we want to get to sixteen teams, but we've expanded fast in the past and then lost a bunch of teams at once, and it's tough to like keep going back and forth. So, you know, until I feel like we have a solid core of twelve, and you know, a solid group of potential owners, um, you know, that's probably where we're going to stick. I think 12 is a good number. You know, I, I think having the ability to have the four divisions and the separate leagues mm -hmm. when we get to the playoffs is really the, the bonus of that. And 12 is like the minimum that we can make that happen. Right. And we did announce, I think it was either last episode or maybe the episode before, that the uh, the All-Star Game, the Midsummer Classic for Classic League Baseball, will be in Limerick next year. So we plan Indeed. to plan to do things just like we did this year and last year. With the, we'll bring the Home Run Derby back and have some fun with that. And um, that, that'll be a, a Twitter event, as it has been the last couple of years. Um, anything else... Uh, as we look to 2023, I mean, we're uh, the draft style will be a standard draft, uh, 1 through 12 every round. Yeah, um, with, with the hope of, you know, those teams that are towards the top of the draft and we're at the bottom of of the standings, hopefully get, get better, you know, mm -hmm. quicker. And I think um, even more so this year, I mean, there's so many teams separated by one game that this league is as competitive as it's ever been. So 
I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a complete flip of playoff teams next year. You know, I think it's going to become much, much harder for teams to, uh, you know, repeat their success year in and year out. Yeah. As much as you try to redraft uh, your favorite players or players that have been on your team uh, a lot, the the more people coming into the league and noticing those teams that have had success and the players that were on those teams, it's uh, kind of inevitable that everyone's got to change their strategy a bit. Yeah. Well, uh, again, I feel like we've been uh, flying through this one. I think the uh, you noticed the change in format at the at the top there. Um, you know, we've got the the first pitch is going to go away next year, uh, and we'll just become first base with Casey Rydell. Uh, I guess that's the other big change to the league. But are we ready to? Yeah, I know. Um, we we've talked about how this this podcast was a way to to get teams more involved, get people, you know, a little more interested in the league. I think um, trimming the fat is the way to go. I think we've accomplished what we were trying to accomplish. So, you know, I think next season we talked about having episodes when there's a lot of things to talk about, right. you know, not trying to fill space. You know, we got one more episode, the last inning coming up. Um, probably do that in the beginning of December, maybe yeah. kind of once. Maybe get a couple rounds in, actually. Yeah. That'd be nice. Yeah, have a little bit of a preview of, of what these new teams are going to look like. Uh, to set us up for, you know, our spring training, um, you know, preseason sort of. I love the preseason episode. Yeah, That's the best one. Yeah, so, yeah, I uh, I think it's been a, a real exciting, fun season. And I can't wait to uh, get into the nitty-gritty of analyzing players and getting ready for the draft this winter. It's the best part of this league. So I guess, uh, I guess we can make, like, the tornadoes and walk it off, huh? <laughs> Oh, I can't. I can't. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap it up. That'll do it for the eighth inning of Dead People Baseball. Keep up with all of the latest news from the Classic League at ClassicLeague05 on Twitter and watch for updates on the website ClassicLeague.Weebly.com. I'm Matt, alongside Classic League Commissioner Jason. We'll talk at you next time.